Praise God. We've been uh, doing a series for the last two weeks on uh, uh, who Jesus is to us. Who Jesus is to us. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 has been our main uh, text, our theme verse. And we're going to go ahead and start by looking at it again tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so what we've done is we're taking four weeks here to take a look at every one of these things that Jesus says to us. We started with wisdom, the fact that Jesus is wisdom from God to us. And last week we got into righteousness. And uh, this week we're going to get into sanctification. But uh, uh, as as we get started tonight, I want you to uh, know this, that righteousness and sanctification are very much tied into each other. And so what we're going to do uh, is uh, just a little review of last week. And then there's a few things about righteousness that I want to start off with tonight to really connect the dots as we go into the study of sanctification, that Jesus has been made unto us sanctification. And you might say, well, that's a nice theological word. What does it mean? You hang around, you'll find out. But uh, uh, regarding righteousness, the idea of right standing with God, we got into that last week. We, we saw that the righteousness that God gives us, that it's a free gift, that he actually has deposited it into your account, that, that your, your spiritual check register shows up as having righteousness in there. And not your own, because your own's not any good, but you've got the very righteousness of God in you as a believer. And also that that is received by faith. It's a free gift that's given to you. All you got to do to receive it is just say, Dennis says, as, as we've been having fun with, okay, that's it. You say so? Okay. It's as simple as that. All you got to do is believe God. And if he said it's yours, okay, it's mine. I believe it. I receive it. Faith is simple. Faith is not a complicated thing. And uh, sometimes it's just as simple as saying, Okay, Lord, if you say so, then it's mine. And so we saw that about receiving righteousness by faith. But now I, I want to say a, a few last things to you about righteousness that are going to lead into what we're going to talk about tonight regarding the third word in that verse, 1 Corinthians 1.30, what Jesus has been made to us, that being sanctification. Now, re, regarding righteousness, some of the things that I wanted to tie up is first of all that the scripture shows us that righteousness should bear fruit. Someone say righteousness should bear fruit. So this is not you just getting a brand new nature on the inside to say, whoop de doo I got a brand new nature on the inside because God's idea behind putting a new nature inside of you was that it would affect things on the outside. That would affect how you walk and how you talk and how you live. Not just something that, that is on the inside, but not affecting the outside, but something that's internal, changing you internally, so that what's happening out here externally can also be different. Righteousness should bear fruit. The Bible teaches that. Second Corinthians 9.10 talks about increasing the fruits of our righteousness. Philippians 1.11 talks about being filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
Hebrews 12, 11 says this, that, that the correction of the Lord yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And also James 2, 18 mentions the, the same idea of the fruit of righteousness being sown in peace by those who make peace. So the idea of the fruit of righteousness is all over the Bible. Now, it's interesting. It's natural. It's not force. You know, I, you know, the idea of the apple tree that's straining to produce apples, that's not force because it's an apple tree. So therefore, uh, for you to bear the fruit of righteousness, how can that be? Well, the Bible says, and I'm going to read this to you real quick because this is not one of the ones that we had up uh, for the screen tonight. But uh, in some prophetic scripture, in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, you're going to see something interesting here. The Bible actually calls us trees of righteousness. Well, then it's just a logical thing to think that a tree of righteousness will produce fruits of righteousness. <laughs> and, and this verse comes right after verse 1 and 2. Yeah, that's deep. Verse 3 comes after verse 1 and 2. But uh, uh, verse 1 and 2 in this chapter is actually what Jesus quoted or read from the scroll when he was in his hometown. About the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so on. And then verse 3 happens right after that. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. Love it. <laughs> the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Someone say, I'm a tree of righteousness. So I produce fruit of righteousness. I'll tell you, that's just awesome. So righteousness should bear fruit. Righteousness should Produce fruit. Uh, we also uh, see this, the righteousness should be practiced. Righteousness should be practiced. So it's not just something that you are. That's the, the first thing that happens. But then it's not just something you are. It's something you are that affects what you do. That's called practicing righteousness. You're just acting on the outside like who God has made you to be on the inside. 1 John 2, 29 and 3, 7 talk about practicing righteousness. 1 John 2, 29 and chapter 3, verse 7. And then also the Bible teaches us that righteousness should be pursued. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 10 talks about the love of money. And then 1 Timothy 6, 11 says, but you, man of God, flee these things. Flee greed. Flee the love of money. And what you're going to chase after, it says, pursue righteousness. 2 Timothy 2.22 says to flee youthful lust. And if I'm going to leave that behind, what am I going to pursue? It says pursue righteousness. So righteousness is something that's supposed to bear fruit, produce fruit. Righteousness is something that is to be practiced and righteousness is something that is to be pursued. So you realize that primarily righteousness is a gift from God that you receive by faith. It's deposited into your account and you don't work for it. He just gives it to you because you believe that he would. As simple as that. But then, now that you have that, 
you just don't sit there. But no, you want to go ahead and bear the fruits of righteousness because now that you got the root inside of you, you want to bear the fruit. Now that you've got the very nature of God inside of you, you want to practice that. You, you want to have a life on the outside that's resembling the wonderful gift God put on the inside. And you want to be one who pursues that which is uh, given to you. Glory to God. But what's the result of righteousness? That's why I want to go to the next verse that we got for the screen, Romans six nineteen. I speak in human terms. This is Romans six nineteen. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Slaves of righteousness for holiness. The original King James says, servants of righteousness unto holiness. Righteousness unto holiness. Now, interesting thing that I want you to know, that word holiness at the end is also translated many other places in the New Testament, and specifically in 1 Corinthians one thirty as sanctification. Now, what I want to do, and we don't have the New American Standard Bible in the system so that it could show up on the screen, but I want to go ahead and read Romans 6, 19 through 22 to you out of the New American Standard Bible. And it reads like this. It says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Someone say, slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now I'm going to keep on reading uh, 20 through 22 of Romans 6 out of the New American Standard Bible. So just listen to me here. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. What benefit were you getting out of that kind of life? What benefit did you derive? Absolutely none. There's no benefit in sin. There's, there's no benefit. There's none. There's, there's the benefit of saying, yeah, we had such a great time last night. But of course, you got too much under the influence to remember what was so great about the time you had. Lord have mercy. We're going to move on. So, uh, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Or you might say enslaved to righteousness. I, I believe you can say that without doing any damage to the verse. Enslaved to God or enslaved to righteousness, you derive your benefit. Resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So now that you're a slave to God or a slave to righteousness, see, when you live that other way, you didn't derive a benefit. Now it says you're deriving a benefit. And it results in sanctification. Righteousness leading to sanctification. And then the ultimate outcome of it all, eternal life. Glory to God. 
So listen to this statement. As a new creature, you have a new nature. As a new creature, you have a new nature. That new nature is the righteousness of God. The result of being a servant or a slave to your new righteous nature is sanctification. And the ultimate outcome of being righteous and sanctified is eternal life. Uh, as a new creature, you have a new nature. That new nature is the righteousness of God. The result of being a servant or slave to your new righteous nature is sanctification. And the ultimate outcome of being righteous and sanctified is eternal life. Glory to God. And of course, we see that in that verse we just read out of the New American Standard Bible. And also Hebrews twelve fourteen that tells us to pursue sanctification without which no one would see the Lord. So, so the, the, there's a great value here and there's a connection that righteousness leads into sanctification. So now that we see that, it's about time that we said, what on earth is sanctification? Well, first of all, let me say this about sanctification is that there's a sense in which it is immediate and there's a sense in which it is progressive. There's a sense in which it's immediate and a sense in which it's progressive. And there's a, a sanctifying that God does to you. And there's also a sanctifying that you do to yourself. So there's God working in you to sanctify you. But the Bible also teaches these little two words together, sanctify yourself. Now, to, uh, we're, we're going to look at two different aspects of what it is. We'll, we'll look at this one first and then get into the next one a little bit later. Uh, but but the, the first one is this. Sanctification defined to be consecrated and set apart as holy and special. Now, I got to tell you, my wife here, she's sanctified. You know why? Because I set her apart from every other woman in the world. I didn't want another. This is the one I wanted, and I separated her. I sanctified her. Uh, uh, all the other kittens get left in the litter, but that kitten came out of the litter. You know what I'm saying? She was consecrated, set apart as special. Y'all go shopping, and you find the, the item of clothing that you want. You take it off the shelf. It's the right size, it's the right color, it's the right everything. What did you do? You just sanctified it. Hey, <laughs> you set it apart. Come on now. So to be consecrated and set apart as holy and special, to render or declare to be sacred, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. So this is not just a, a setting apart uh uh, it's not one-sided, it's two-sided. You're setting apart from something so that you can set apart to something. You're separating from something to, to separate to something. Hallelujah. Separating from profane things so you can be separated and dedicated to the Lord. Now, many words in the scripture are very much related. Saint. Sanctuary, 
sanctify, sanctified, sanctification are, are all really uh, uh, based out of the same uh, Greek root word. And uh, so a, a, a saint is a sanctified one, a sanctified person. Now you may say, well, I thought a saint, you had to have the halo and all that stuff. And, but, but it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 1 2, which is right up here on the screen. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. A person who is a saint is a person who is sanctified in Christ Jesus. A person who is a saint is a sanctified one. That's what the word means. So then if you are set apart by him for his special purpose and his holy purpose, then you may not have your own stained glass window. You may not have your little bling on top of your head, but I'm here to tell you today, if that's you, you are a saint. Sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Now, not just over there in Corinth. Look at the rest. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So with all who in every place, I guess every place would include Seekonk and Providence and Fall River and New Bedford and Cranston and Warwick and Brockton and Worcester and wherever you're from. Hallelujah. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus. Those people as well. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are a saint. You are a sanctified one. Now, God, think about this, not just the fact that God has called you to be a saint, but that God has chosen you to such a position from the very foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. Woo! Ephesians 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That's the same word. Holy is the same word as saint. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean the same word in the Greek language. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When did he make that choice? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Whoa, think that God would think such a thing of you. Hallelujah. And, and, and this is the part that blows you away. It's not like he didn't know. It's not like he didn't know your stuff. <laughs> it's not like he didn't know all the skeletons in the closet. It, 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 uh, it, you see, he's in the closet. You know what I'm saying? Where, where, where are you going to go to hide from him? <laughs> so it's not like he didn't know everything that there was to know about us and all the ugliness of us and all the sin and all the not so sanctified things we've done in our life. But he still chose to make uh, to, to, uh, uh, for us to be holy and without blame before him in love. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, the Greek word for holy, as I said, is also the same Greek word for saint. But let me drop something else on you. 
The same Greek word for holy that's used when the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is the same Greek word that is used for saint. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. When the Bible says holy, as in Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, that is the same word in the Greek language that is used that is translated saint. Which means you don't have a different holiness from him. Woohoo! <laughs> your holiness and your sanctification is the same as his. And of course, holiness and sanctification, you know, we're, we're, we're saying that as synonymous because the Going back to our definition, it's being consecrated and set apart as holy and special to render or declare something or someone to be sacred, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. So holiness and sanctification, I mean, uh, uh, they're very closely intertwined as far as how they're translated into the English language from the same Greek word. Look at Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2.11. Now, now, you might be blown away and say, yeah, uh, the, the same holiness in God in me? you got to be kidding. Verse 11, Hebrews 2. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Think about this. This is saying that there's a union between the one who's sanctifying and the ones that are being sanctified. See, we, that, that's hard for us to get because we're so used to seeing the gap. See, we, can, we don't see the union because we're so used to seeing the gap. We're seeing us way down here, <laughs> and we're seeing God way up here. But you see, we need to realize that's the reason why Jesus came. That's the reason why he came. That's the reason why 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that God made Jesus to become this to us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Why? Because God wanted to bridge the gap. He, he didn't want there to be a gap where God is way up here and you are way down here. No, no, no. Now that the, the gap has been bridged, rather than the sanctifier and the one being sanctified being separate, no, now they're all of one. Glory to God forever. We're in union with Christ. Do you believe it? Hallelujah. You got to be because he's the head and you're the body. The head and the body aren't disconnected. The head and the body are connected. Dennis, when you came here tonight, I didn't say here comes Dennis in his head or here comes Dennis in his body. I just said here comes Dennis because his head and his body are connected. Hallelujah. So for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to say, yeah, I'm with them. And they're with me. I'm with them. They're with me. He's not ashamed to say that. He's not ashamed for you to be called something that he himself is called. For he is called holy and he's not bothered by the fact that you're called holy too. <laughs> He's called holy, and he's not bothered by it. As a matter of fact, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of that. Glory be to God. Let that sink down into your spirit tonight. Because you, you, you might have 
been used to looking in the mirror and saying, oh, Lord, you just ought to be ashamed of yourself. But he is not ashamed of you. Hallelujah. And how important it is for us to renew our minds, to start thinking about ourselves the way that he thinks about us. Also, 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16 says this. It says, but that is he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Think about this, that the Lord would have an expectation and a reasonable one because God don't have unreasonable expectations. If God has an expectation, it's because that expectation uh, has the provisions made so it can be met. God wouldn't have expectations that there's not provisions for So if God has an expectation for you to be holy in all your conduct and be holy just like I'm holy, because you got the same ingredients. You are holy. He made you holy. He has sanctified you and made you holy. You you know, when, when we read holy place, holiest of all in scripture, I know this is going to blow you away. Like you think, holiest of all, and you think about that, 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 that holy of holies. That word holiest in the term holiest of all is the same Greek word as saint. The word holy, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the same word as saint. God don't mind letting the whole world know that what's in him, he's putting in you too. Hallelujah. Now, John, uh, just to let you know, I'm going to switch two verses around. Acts 26 is next, but I'm going to put that the one after, and I'm going to do Hebrews 10 first. But uh, what I want to do is show you real quick that as with every other blessing that you can receive from God, the sanctification also, just like every other blessing, is made available to you through the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Next verse. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hallelujah. Are you glad about it? And also right there in that same chapter in verse 14, it says, by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Also in that same chapter in the 29th verse, it says, talks about the blood of the covenant wherewith we are sanctified. Uh, Hebrews 13, 12 says that Jesus sanctified the people with his own blood. So we see that just like with any other blessing you can get from God, <laughs> it's the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that made it available to you. And how's it received? How's it received? Just like righteousness, we talked about it last week. You receive righteousness by faith. Look at Acts 26. You receive sanctification the same way. This is Paul speaking. Uh, talking about actually retelling his experience on the road to Damascus and the commission he got. And this is his commission. 
to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see two nuggets there. You see, first of all, that the way you receive your sanctified status is by faith in him. Hallelujah. By faith in Jesus. And then also you see this, that there's an inheritance for the sanctified. Yeah. Yeah. There's several other scriptures that talk about that as well. Uh, Acts 20, 32 talks about the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Ephesians 1 talks about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And understanding that a saint is a sanctified one, that inheritance is in the sanctified ones. Colossians 1.12 says that the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance of the sanctified ones. Glory to God. That's just awesome, isn't it? So, now... I wanted to go ahead and lay a little bit of a foundation so that we can see this, uh, uh, the, the first look we're taking of what sanctification is. That, that, that it's, uh, uh, that which is separated, uh, set apart for a holy cause. That, that which is set apart as holy, it's, it's set apart and, and, and rendered and declared to be sacred. Amen. Now, I want to look at another dimension of sanctification. Someone say, Jesus has been made to me. Sanctification. Jesus has been made to me. Sanctification. Now, what's interesting is that with anything that, that, that the Bible says, there is usually a God side of it and a man side of it. God's on the giving end. Man has to be on the receiving end. And in order for man to be on the receiving end, he also needs to be on the believing end. Because if you don't believe, you don't receive. But uh, uh, it's interesting that the very God who gave you the gift of righteousness also told you to pursue righteousness. Hey. And also told you to practice righteousness. And the very same God who sanctifies you and has sanctified you and made you a saint, set you apart for a holy cause. He is also, at the very same time that he sanctified you, putting out a call to you to sanctify yourselves. And he said, well, I don't get it. Why do I need to do it to myself, Lord? Didn't you do a good enough job? Why do I need to sanctify myself? But, but the thing is, is that the act of you sanctifying yourself is simply your cooperation with what the Lord has already done. It, it, it's not you fighting against him, it's you cooperating with him. It's you flowing with him. It, it's, it's you looking inside at, at the new creature that you are now, with the new nature that you now have, and say, is that who I am now? Then this is the way we do it now. We don't do it the way we used to because I'm not that person now. I'm somebody new. I'm somebody different. This is who I am now. So therefore, because I'm this now, this is the way that I conduct myself now. Hallelujah. Revelation 19. This is interesting. Check this out. 
Verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Verse 8. And to her, to the wife, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the sanctified ones. Glory to God. So these are sanctified people doing righteous acts. Sanctified people, they've been set apart. But what's a righteous act? Well, you see, there's a righteous nature. (laughs) There's a righteous nature on the inside. And a righteous act is when you just act like who you are. I've been given a righteous nature. This is who I am in Christ. Who am I going to act like? I'm going to act like who I am. Look at it this way. And one of the things that we talked about at the end of our teaching last week is that the, uh, in one sense of the word, that your righteous nature is the, the root. But actions being displayed on the outside is the fruit. Now, the root has the potential of the fruit. But the fruit is the full manifestation of the root. Oh, yeah. The root has the potential of fruit. If this thing grows up and does what it's supposed to, it's going to be some juicy fruit. But the fruit is the full manifestation of the root. See, when, when you got root, the fruit at that point it's potential. You know? It's it's supposed to happen. It's set up to happen that way. But it's not yet at the point where it's fully manifest. But when you're talking about fruit, you got the evidence. When you got the fruit, you don't have to wonder what kind of root produced it. You just look at the fruit. Because the fruit, if, if it was an apple root, it produced apple fruit. If it was orange fruit, it produced orange fruit. Glory to God. And so, righteous nature, if you have righteous fruit, if you have righteous acts, you know that it's a result of righteous nature. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know what? 1 Corinthians 6. And uh, before we read that, I want to quote this to Ephesians 4.24 says that, that we should put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.24 says that. Put on the new man, which uh, was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So it, it, it's interesting here that when you understand uh, that you are a new person, There's a lot of language, especially in the epistles, about putting on. Well, you're a new man? Well, go ahead and put on the new man. The Bible even talks about putting on love. Now, a lot of times in our vernacular and the way we talk today, we say, well, I don't want to go ahead and put something on because people think I'm a put on. People think I'm just putting something on. But God's telling you to put something on. 
Not to put something on that you're not. You see, that's the negative side of it. For you to put something on that you're not is just putting on a show and being a hypocrite. But when you're putting something on that you are, then you're pleasing God and doing the right thing. And if you are righteous and you put on righteousness, you're all right because you're doing the right thing. If you are sanctified and you put on sanctification, you're just being who you are. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Verse 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Glory to God. Let me tell you something happened here. That because these people were sanctified, Paul could say such were some of you. Because you were sanctified, that's the, the, some of those things may have described how you used to be or how you used to act, but it's not who you are now. And one of the biggest deceptions of the believer is to, to uh, of the enemy on a believer is to get the believer to think that they're still just the same old thing they've always been. And to rob them of the reality that there was a change that took place inside of them when they became a believer in Jesus. That they really did become a new creature. I'm different. Because, here it is. When a new believer, especially a new believer, whether a few months, few weeks, few years... Oh, I know, I'm, the, the devil's brutal. I know what he does to people. I know what he does to me. I know what he does to you. And, and so, when, when somebody falls, what, what, what's there? He's right there to say, yeah, 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 yeah. You thought you were different, but no, you're still the same old thing. That's why what we need to do is not define ourselves by what we do, but define what we do by who we are. Because you see, if I fall and then I'm going to define myself according to my falling into sin, then I am denying the fact that something happened in me that changed me. I'm saying that, yeah, I'm just the same old guy I used to be. It's no different now. As opposed to saying, no, I ain't doing this anymore. I don't care if I just did it. Something rises up inside of me that says, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because that's not who I am anymore. I am different. I am a new creature in Christ. The, the root is different. So now the fruit's going to be different. Ephesians 5, 8, love this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what should we do about that? Walk as children of light. You need to hit somebody next to you and say, act like who you are. Act like who you are. Glory to God. See, are you getting this? 
that, that, that the righteous nature that God put inside of you, that now there's a plan from God for you to uh, live that out on the outside. For that not just to be uh, 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 who you are on the inside. That's never God's plan. God's plan is that who you are on the inside radiate and shine on the outside. Hallelujah. And, and it's amazing. One of the things that robs believers from getting to the point of fully enjoying that is they don't really believe that things are different on the inside. And so they don't really believe things are different on the inside. And so they go back to the same old crazy behavior that they've been used to. Which is interesting because the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart. That's why at the end of last week, those of you who are here, I gave you that verse out of Romans 6.11 where God told you how to think about yourself. How to reckon yourself. To reckon yourself. Think about yourself this way. Esteem yourself this way. As dead to sin and alive to God. Do you see how important that is? Because you know what? If you think the opposite of that, and if you esteem yourself in the opposite way of what the Bible told you to, then you're just going to stay in the mud for the rest of your life. And never be able to get up out of the mud and enjoy what it's like to be clean. (laughs) Now, let's put that quote up there. Here we go. A spirit, a human spirit, that is well fed on the word and well exercised on the spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, and the intentional doing of the word. What's the intentional doing of the word? You find out something in the word you're supposed to do, you go to do it. I mean, you just said crazy. I'm supposed to tithe? Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to, to pray for my enemies? Okay. I'm, I'm supposed to forgive people? Okay. So the intentional doing of the word, that's a spiritual exercise. You want to get some muscles, that's one way to get some muscles. So let's keep reading. Uh, we'll, we'll start again. A spirit that is well fed on the word and well exercised on the spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, and the intentional doing of the word is a spirit that's strong enough to stand against temptation, dominate over the flesh instead of being dominated by it, and will put the internal righteous nature on outward display. Woo, come on somebody. Everybody get your camera out. Go ahead and keep that up there a minute. Let's read it one more time. A spirit that is well fed on the word and well exercised on the spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, and the intentional doing of the word is a spirit that's strong enough to stand against temptation, dominate over the flesh instead of being dominated by it, and will put the internal righteous nature on outward display. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Now, We need to go. We we need to run. So whoever got a good shot of that, go ahead and text it to somebody. All right. Facebook it. Post it. 1 Thessalonians 4. We need to go here. Check this out. This is very important. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And you want to know the will of God for your life. Woo! Look what you just found. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. All right, here we go. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, hold that right there. Some people have translated this, that the vessel is that you should know how to possess your spouse in sanctification and honor. Whether that's true or not, I mean, the idea of possessing a spouse, you know, you, you can probably push that a little too far, so I say, Lord have mercy. Uh, uh, the, I personally, I personally believe that, that I do no harm to this verse but to interpret that that vessel is me, my body. And that I should possess my vessel, have control over my vessel. And you know, there's two types of people. People who control their vessel and people whose vessel control them. Oh, all right. But how should you do so? In sanctification and honor. So is it, who's doing this? Is God doing this? Is God doing this? No, it's all right. You can answer. No, it's not God. It's you. It's me. Which goes to show that there's a God side and a man side to being sanctified. Verse 5. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 6. That no one should take advantage of him to fraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. I'm trying to click the button, the invisible button. I just go ahead and read it over here then. Verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Now, the New American Standard of uh, uh, verse 7 is this. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. That's your calling. That's God's will for you. Sanctification. Know how to possess your vessel. Get a hold of yourself. In sanctification and honor. You know, Ephesians 5.3 also addressing the aspect of sexual immorality. Why would the Bible talk about that so much? Do you think it's a problem? Well, Ephesians 5, 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Now, let's go ahead and do this. 2 Timothy 2. This is important. And we're going to wrap up soon. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let's keep it right there for a minute. Go back to 19. This is interesting. This is the solid, the, the seal of the solid foundation of God. That sounds like a big deal, doesn't it? That this is so important that this is called the seal of the solid foundation of God. Two things. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, the Lord knows those who are his because he's picked them and he set them apart to himself. So the first aspect of this seal is that God has sanctified you. And the second part of it is let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
So the, the first part of that, the Lord knows that are his, that's that God has sanctified you. And the second part of the seal is this, you sanctify yourself. If you name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 20 now. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonor, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call the Lord uh, on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is an amazing thing. When, when we see this, that, that the seal of the solid foundation of God is that the Lord has sanctified you and that you sanctify yourself. And that as you cleanse yourself from dishonor, you are actually doing something to make you a vessel for honor that's sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. Let me tell you somebody, it's your decision whether or not you cooperate with the Lord and whether or not you're useful to him. That falls in your court. He will work on you and do everything that he can do. But there's a certain amount of this where this says that if anyone cleanses himself, from dishonor. That's not something that the Lord's doing. That's something that we do. But by so doing, we put ourselves in a position whereby cooperating with him, that we put ourselves in the best position to be useful to him. How important is this? How important is this subject of being sanctified? One last verse, John 17. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. And you see, we don't even have time to get into where he talked about sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We don't even have time for that. But here it says, I do not pray that you should take them, his followers, out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Not of the world, because they've been sanctified. They've been set apart. Now, here's the thing. He's not taking them out of the world. That's what he said in the, in the last verse, in the previous verse. He's not taking them out. But at the same time, he said, they are not of the world as I am not of the world, but they're in the world. He's not taking them out. Are you with me? He's not taking them out. They're still here. They're still on planet Earth, terra firma. So they're not taken out, but they're not of it. Do you know that the church has its greatest impact on the world when it is least like the world? Is somebody getting a hold of that tonight? You, you know, when, when, when the church falls in disgrace is when you cannot see a clear line of distinction between how godly people act and how sinners act. When everybody just acting the same and in the same old mess, you see that, that, that decreases the effectiveness. But the church is most effective and has its greatest impact on the world when it is least like the world. But the thing is, is that some people in regards to 
uh, sanctification thing, well, I just go ahead and need to withdraw. So I'm going to go ahead and withdraw, and, and we're all living this little commune, and uh, we'll, we'll just kind of be ourselves. We'll be sanctified from the world, set apart from the world, but you're not having any influence on anybody in the world. There's a problem with that. Because God wanted you separated, God wanted you sanctified, but not without influence. Then what's the solution? This is the solution here. What Jesus said, he said, I'm not taking you out, I'm leaving you in, but I'm going to keep you from the evil one. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to keep you from the evil one. Go back to that previous verse, verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now back to 16. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Let me put it to you in good old 2016 terminology. And we're going to close with this. The problem is not having a boat in water. The problem is when water gets in the boat. God has called you the boat, me the boat, to be in water. Otherwise, what good is a boat? Boats don't do any good out on land. If you got a boat in the middle of a grassy field, I can stand beside the boat and be just fine. A boat's not doing any good in a grassy field. So, if a boat is on water, that's good. If water's in the boat, that's not good. But do you see that, that God has called us as boats to be able to float on the water and to be able to have an impact. Let the, the wake of where we're going have an impact. Let the ripples of where we're going have an impact. And at the same time to do that, don't let no water get in the boat. Is that dawning on somebody tonight? Hallelujah. Are you glad that Jesus has been made sanctification to you? Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we honor you and give you glory. Thank you for the word of God, for the spirit of God in this place, and for all the blessings that you've so graciously poured out on us in Jesus' name.